back to another episode of Drop the Mitts Hockey Podcast brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions. This is episode 21. I am with my co-host, Tommy Bennett, and we are welcomed by newly uh, Drop the Mitts member, uh, Zach Williams. He takes care care of all of our TikTok stuff and uh, our Twitter stuff. So, Zach, how are you doing, buddy? Happy to have you. I'm good. Happy to be here. How are you? Man, I'm doing good. Like I said, man, we're happy to have you. You're a huge part of this team now, so I'm happy to finally get you on. And uh, Tommy, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. It's a Wednesday, you know, just enjoying some hockey, just kind of figuring out what the Red Sox are going to do. And baseball free agency is really, really slow where NHL happens like that day. So Good luck trying to figure out what the Red Sox are doing, dude. They, 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 they just, just get a pitcher. I don't care what you do. Just get a pitcher. I was get, listening. A couple, get a couple of them. That's all I need. Just so yeah, I was know. listening to Felger and Maz uh, this afternoon. You know, a big mistake on that part. And uh, don't li- I don't listen to them when it comes to baseball talk. If I go to baseball talk, I don't hot. They had some pretty good. They had some pretty good hockey takes, like last week. I think it was right. Um, I'm sure it was a blast. I'm sure it was a doozy. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, man, sure yeah. a, I'm sure it was a doozy. Yeah, it was with those two. We uh we got a lot to get to. Um, it's only been a week, but like a shit ton has happened. Um, and I think it's probably appropriate that we start off with the Edmonton Oilers. God, firing Jay Woodcroft and replacing him with Knobloch. I don't, dude, this move, I, I have no idea what the fuck this team's doing. I can understand why they had to fire him, right? But yeah, for- yeah, in a sense, like, I think a lot rides on the, like, on the season. Like, this is a very important season for the Edmonton Oilers. Like, they have no money. The goaltending is poor. They already sent down Campbell. Drysidle has one year left after this year, and McDavid has two. So at this point, you're going in on all like win now mode. I don't know if firing the coach is gonna get it done, but you got to start somewhere. I think Knobloch is a pretty good addition. He was really good in Hartford. Uh, the guys in Hartford had really good things to say about him. I think he was actually in the running for the Rangers position, and then they obviously chose Laviolette, but. He also did coach uh, Connor McDavid in juniors with the Erie Otters. And, you know, I I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, I think the president is uh, also McDavid's agent or has some kind of ties to McDavid. And Ken Holland is in his last year. So I don't know if it's about keeping like, I don't know if it's about Ken or what. It can't, when it comes to the coach of the Edmonton Oilers, it's, that, that's not the problem. I believe Ken Holland's the problem. Um, mm-hmm. He's got to go. He is absolutely terrible and is terrible for this organization. Um, he just, I mean, yes, firing Woodcroft, well, it could be the right move, but it's, you know, the Edmonton Oilers on paper are, uh, they're, they're a good team, but, you know, Skinner's been, Skinner's been subpar. Campbell was absolutely awful and continues to be awful in the AHL. Um, and yeah, and McDavid isn't performing like McDavid does. He has been, for him, subpar this season. Uh, and you know, I mean, they fired. They obviously fired Woodcroft, and you know, something's got to give. And that's obviously where they started. I think another weird thing is that, like, almost immediately after they brought in, they announced that they were bringing in Paul Coffey as well. Yeah, zero coaching experience, none. Hall of Famer, 
One of the best defensemen to ever live, but no coaching experience. Yeah, but look at some of the guys that do that have come in that had no coaching experience. Like, look at Martin St. Louis. Like, he, dude, he deserves a golden ticket for what it's, he's he done. He turned that Canadians team around. Like, dude, Caulfield was literally a, like you could almost say he was a bust under Ducharme, and then. Martin St. Louis comes in, and now Caulfield is just a bona fide sniper. Yeah. So it's like you're. I, I think the idea of having fresh blood is a good thing. You know, guys that maybe just don't have experience but can come in, and you know, why not give them a shot? You know, we're seeing this recycled coach thing over and over, and it's just not working. Did you get a chance to watch any of that press conference when they announced that Knobloch was was being announced as the coach? The the fact. Dude, they had, like, contradicting stories, which was the most fucking bizarre thing to me. It was – I believe it was the CEO of Hockey Operations who started off talking, or the owner or whatever, starts talking by saying, like, yep, yeah, I talked to McDavid. I talked to all the leaders of the team. Um, you know, they they were informed that this was going to happen. Then all of a sudden it switches over to Ken Holland. And he said, no, they had nothing to do with this decision. They weren't informed before we made this decision that this was sold. It just seems like there's a real disconnect. Um, and, and like, you know, like Zach just said, it's it seems like a Ken Holland thing, to be honest. Like, the I don't know if the message got lost. The way that Connor McDavid explained it, the message never got lost with the between the players and the coach. Which yeah, then he never lost the room, which is great. Which then leads leads me to believe this might be a GM thing. Because, again, how are we in 2023 and we're still talking about the Edmonton Oilers not having a goaltender? How long has this been a fucking problem for this team? It makes no sense how they haven't done anything. And, and no, fucking Skinner is not the answer. Jack Campbell was not the answer. Jack Campbell had one good season and then got paid. I wouldn't even say he had a good season. He had a decent playoff. He had a decent yeah, playoff, and then he had, a decent, he had a decent playoff, and then they they figured they like had to make a move, so then they just did. Skinner, I think, just kind of emerged on the scene, but it's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid, especially in that market, to be like, "Hey, like you're the answer. Like <laughs> here's the keys to the crease." I think we talked about it last week too. Is a lot of these defensemen that they have, although I do really like Ekholm and I really like Evan Bouchard, the fact that you're paying Darnell Nurse Charlie McAvoy money is absurd. You're Due to traffic cone. You've locked yourself into these absurd contracts, which let's call it for what it is. It's an absurd contract. Nine and a half million a year for for what Darnell Nurse provides is outrageous. Evander Kane is another one to me. Makes no sense to me. And a lot of them have no move clauses, so it's like getting out from under these is really difficult. And in order for them to actually make a serious, substantial move, they have to send out money. But who actually is going to waive if they have like a no move clause to go there? Like, if you're in a good situation, like why would you want to? Or you feel like you're in a good situation, why would you want to go there? The only thing you can sit there and say is, all right, this team like is committed to winning for the next year or two. Yeah, you gotta look at the dry side over there. You gotta look at the Oilers' cap situation too. They have so little, little to none. Uh, so it, it makes it even harder for them to mm-hmm. move any of these guys and, and bring in new talent because they have they just have no money to do so. They'll be bring in trade for a high quality goaltender and you're you're over the cap. It's just uh, to the, I mean 
could they do something and put uh, put a guy on LTIR and pull a Tampa Bay Lightning? Uh, it it's it, the whole situation over in Edmonton is just abysmal. Yeah, one of their big selling points too is, well, you get to come and play with Leon Drysidel and Connor McDavid. Well, hey, there's a pretty good fucking chance that neither of these guys are on this team in in three years. With how disgruntled they have been acting and how they, I know it's just interactions with the media, but man, they they seem pissed off. And and again, if this message has gotten lost between the GM and the players, not necessarily the coach and the players, but the GM and the players, I think after this year, if they continue to fucking sink, Ken Holland has to go. If they want, he, any, he's he's in his last year, so they're probably not going to bring him back. Like if they this want, is the, this is probably the final year of Holland. If they want, I think I think Ken Holland has to go now. I, I, I just, agree. Like I, I think if like you know if you're really to make moves at the deadline and you like want to give somebody the you know to 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 kind of like revamp this, I'm with Zach. You got to give it to somebody who's probably capable of doing it because Holland hasn't shown he can do it. I'm looking at their numbers right now. Their depth is not producing at all. It's bad, like really bad. Like after Nugent Hopkins with 10 points, like Fogel has six, Nurse has five. Then you go to the forwards and Gagne has three, McLeod has two, DeHarnay and Hathaway and Ryan have one, and then the rest of the lineup has zero. That's a huge problem when only five guys are basically carrying your load and one of them's a defenseman. And that's Bouchard. That's yeah. not getting. You're not going to get that done. To go you back, can't to, rely on three guys to carry you. To go back to your original point, there, I think there's almost a zero percent chance that they fire Ken Holland midseason. Don't I don't see it happening midseason. There's no way. It, I I don't see teams firing general managers. Head coaches, fine. GMs though, it's a little more difficult to kind of because you got to think they're going to wait. Till everyone's available, right? I mean, you're very, you're very limited on what you can bring in. You're gonna bring in someone for half a season to be the general manager, or you're gonna wait till the end of the year. Well, where they just brought in as president, just have them kind of run the show as the interim. Like something's got to give at some point. If the if the ship keeps sinking, at what point is enough enough for for McDavid and Drysaddle? Like, you know, I know people were like, oh, like. You know, they don't want to talk about the, the Boston Bruins goaltending situation. Fine. Like, obviously, right now, the time is not to deal either of those guys. You know, figure that out in the summer. But people are already talking about, you know, like the future of McDavid and Dreisaitl in Edmonton. Like, that's not a blasphemy conversation to have. I think no, the I... thing with Holland is that if the Oilers are going to get anything done at the deadline, if they have any chance at turning this season around – they need a competent GM that can figure out what's going on within this organization that's causing Bingo. this turmoil. Because it, Edmonton came into this season as a Stanley Cup contender. They come into every season for the last three years as a Stanley Cup contender. To see them do this is not good and not a good look for Holland. And like I said, if they're going to turn this around, I think Holland's got to go. So are you, firing, are you firing Ken Holland if they're clearly out of the playoffs? Yeah, 100%. Hundred percent. Yeah, you can't. You, you and, if, like, and if they're if they're a borderline bubble playoff team, are you still firing him? If he makes no moves at the deadline and just literally rides out what he has, yeah, you like like what gives? I agree. Like you like you, you hire have him to, after the deadline is what you're saying. 
if if you're gonna if you're not gonna fire him before the deadline and they're a bubble team that has issues and needs to be addressed and you can't figure out a way to address those needs with competent talent, yeah. There's no point in you being here. You're not like we're not gonna keep you. Like I'm with I'm with Zach. I, I think you get rid of, I think you you need to cut bait if things don't improve in the next I'd say what, by the holidays? When when was the last time you saw a GM fired midseason? Besides besides Ottawa. Because Ottawa, I, I think that, that was a forced move. I can't recall one personally, but like I said, I feel like this is a this is kind of a unique scenario because yep. it, it it just it you got this, it it's, you got a team with McDavid and Drysaddle that's supposed to contend for a Stanley Cup that is thirty first in the league, the worst team in the league uh, in terms of goalies, in terms of goals against average, they're the worst in the league. And it's just, you know, it, something's got to give, like I said, if they want to turn this season around. And it, like, it, has to, it has to be Ken Holland. And they, are, and they are so vocal about how, like, pissed off they are. Like, when's the last time you've really seen, like, two superstar players be this irritated at the beginning of the year? Like, there's having ruts and there's having slumps. Like, this isn't a Jack Eichel thing where he's just got kind of like a sad, frowny face in Buffalo. Like, this is a team that, like, you know, almost went to the Stanley Cup final, like, two seasons ago. Yeah. You know, like, like there's – and it's like you have two of the best players in the world, like Zach said, on one team. Yeah, I mean, and they're, they're, and they're not- this And they're this bad. Like, I think this is a unique situation, like he said. You know, they're like, also not producing on the ice either. So we they're can produce. Not- they're they're producing. They're just not producing at their normal rate. Like McDavid's still a point per game player. But that's the dry is producing. McDavid is not. McDavid is not. McDavid points. I still think McDavid's hurt. I think he's got something that's laboring him. He's playing through it. He's just not. I don't. I, I, he might not be a hundred percent. But I, I think. I think Zach said it best. It's a unique situation. Their contracts are coming up. Like. Are they going to want to stay? Like, you know, it's not an outrageous thing to really ask. And I, I, I really, I like what Zach said. It's a very unique scenario. It's, yeah, it's not like a typical scenario where, like, oh, the team just bottomed out. Like, they're trying to do everything they can, but they have very little to work with. And Holland didn't exactly put them in a place to be successful. Holland has done everything to to please McDavid, bringing in all his people that he wants around. You cannot deny that. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like he has his coach. He has a coach that he's worked with. The, the agent, I think, is the president. He's who know. He probably takes over. Those are all the David guys. So, exactly. So at, at this point, it's like something's got to give. But the personnel on the ice is not enough. Right. Well, their we depth. Their depth is horrible. We talked. They're about they're, they're not great defensively, and their goaltending is is shit. But again, dude, when you're when you have guys that are making upwards of twelve and a half a year, almost thirteen million dollars a year. That's what you're left with. What 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 else are they supposed to do? They made these moves to bring in Darnell Nurse at nine and a half million. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a GM. That's a GM. That's a GM president. That's a GM that's a, thing. Like, that's, that's not their ownership thing. That's not. You know, and, and, and what's crazy is like Drysaddle's contract isn't even that expensive. No, Drysaddle has the best contract in the league. Yeah, he, he has like the best value in the league. He doesn't even make. Hughes is pretty good too. Yeah, but dry okay, but like Drysidle for what he's done, like I love Jack Hughes, but for what Drysidle has done, his contract is a bargain. Like he makes under nine. 
Yeah, but I, his next. It's, it's just it, it's like outrageous. it's like they're it's like the way they manage their cap is why they're in this situation. Yeah, no, they, I, they handled it as poorly as Toronto did with their core four, and that's why Toronto stuck with what they got. Yeah, I mean, and speaking Toronto, of Toronto, yeah, um, Patty Kane, baby, here we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, of all of all places, he's visiting in Toronto. There's other teams involved. The Rangers are not one of them, but I believe Buffalo's in the mix. They mentioned Dallas, Florida. I want to say Florida's still in the mix. And uh, did I say Buffalo? Yeah, you said Buffalo. Buffalo, Dallas, Florida, and I'm missing one. They said there were upwards of eight teams that were involved. But I'm sure Detroit know. is to some capacity. I'm seeing Toronto's the, I'm the big one because he officially has met with them. I was seeing the front runners as uh, Toronto, Buffalo, Florida were the were the three ones that were like heavily, heavily in in, in the mix. He met with yeah. Toronto yesterday, which this is how we'll start this. I which I think is absolutely fucking comical that they're even considering bringing in Patrick Kane. They, talk about another fucking disgruntled organ like I, I don't even know how to describe them dude it, it, just, it, it is it is literally yeah what he said but it's just like how many like do you, are we allowed to swear on this say whatever you want dude <laughs> free reign fuck are you gonna do the same shit over and over again until it just doesn't fucking work how many fucking skill guys are you gonna bring in? You can only outscore your problems on defense and goaltending for so long until it just doesn't work. This team needs a physical shutdown defenseman. Go get Nikita Zadorov. But no, let's bring in Patrick fucking Kane. For what? To plug him next to Tavares and hope to God his hip is in good shape and he just outscores your problems? Dude, the goaltending there is worse this year than it was last year. And last year actually wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, but the, it's like, the least guy. Like, at what point, like, does it, like, do you stop doing the same shit? Like, you brought in this toughness thing, and uh, clearly that's not fucking working. So now you want to go ahead and bring in Patrick Kane. You need a defenseman, and you signed John Klingberg. He's horrible. He's horrible. He's horrible. He's worse this year Awful. than last year. I didn't even think that was possible. Anaheim was so bad last year, and he was god awful, and he's somehow worse this year. They have no I mean, you bring structure. in, you bring in a guy like, and then they bring in a guy like Ryan Reeves, who's supposed to be their 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 tough guy per se. I, I, th- talk, I think talk talk about talk about like- an abysmal hockey play. He is the worst, and I'm a big Ryan Reeves hater. I don't like Ryan Reeves at all. But in terms of his hockey play, absolutely awful. You have yeah. him on the fourth line. He produces nothing. Um, and then it's like you guys said. He you go out and you look at Patrick Kane when. You have one depth scoring is still a problem for them, but defense is an even bigger problem. In terms of goaltending, Samsonov hasn't been great, but no. Joseph Joseph Wall looks promising. Yeah, he he's had a, he's had a good start to the season. He looks like a promising young goaltender for that team. But defense is definitely the biggest need for Toronto, and they just don't seem to be addressing it. But they're, you know, the Leafs are going to do what the Leafs guy. do. Their best shutdown guy is like a forty-year-old Mark Giordano. That's not like I mean I love Mark Giordano, but that's not exactly ideal. You haven't had that physical shutdown presence since Muzzin got hurt. But why are we going to bring in Patrick Kane? It makes no sense. And with what money? Also true. Have to utilize the LTIR, but they already did. I mean, how many people are you going to sh- shove on there? You already shoved uh, you already shoved Murray and Muzzin. 
This is how many more thing. people are you going to shove on there? This is the thing with this team, dude. It just seems like it's a revolving pointing the finger game, right? Well, first, first it's goaltending, right? Well, we have this big issue at goaltending. They don't fucking address it, right? Do nothing to address it. Well, well, our toughness. We don't have enough toughness on this team. We can score. We can put the puck in the net. We just, we just don't have enough toughness. They pay all that money to bring in Max Domi, Tyler Bertuzzi, Ryan Reeves. Those three guys do absolutely fucking nothing. Now Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi has picked up his play as a late though. He's I will say, that, but, but he's still, but he's still been very like. He's not, not worth what he got to be. He's not doing what he what he's getting paid to do. The, the amount of money that he's making, dude, not worth the five, it. The five million dollar contract is not looking oh. worth it right now. Oh. No, not for them, no. I I mean I and I actually like really liked that move. I, I thought it actually was really gonna like work. Just because of the way he plays, like his style goes in the corners, you know, digs out pucks, he's he's great down low. He's not afraid to do the grunt work. And it, you know, if he's on a line with Matthews and Marner, it gives them a little bit more open ice just to you know, They've already tried way, but it hasn't worked. They've already it hasn't tried. worked. Yeah, it hasn't worked, and it's just weird. I don't know if it's just like a like a fit thing. Like it just he just doesn't fit with the way they play. The way that Toronto media is explaining and and how they're complaining about things is that he doesn't belong there. He 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 doesn't fit their mold of play. Well, it kind of seems like with with how they haven't really done yeah. anything. Who does fit their mold? They're a, they're like a they're a finesse team. They're they're a finesse team. Like I, I was listening to. Uh, like chicklets today they were talking about like Nylander and they were I forget you know they were just talking about like you know what do you do do you like trade Marner and, and then they were like oh LA would work and it's like the way LA plays I don't think would fit Marner's game either you know so the team kind of has to a little bit fit the player and it, it worked well in Boston Bertuzzi it was like born to be a Bruin it, it worked like his style of play it fits the black and gold mold but it just has not worked in Toronto. It's weird. Max Domi is another one, but I didn't like that signing anyway. I think he had a fluky year. He, he hasn't really done anything in terms of production since, like, his days in Montreal. He was a playoff hero in 2022 with Carolina in Game 7 against Boston. He hasn't really done anything since. He got paid basically to be a tough guy and go where his dad used to play. Here, here's the thing with the Leafs is they come in every year. Is the media – Preseason, is this the Leafs' year? The Leafs bring in this guy, this guy, this guy. They, it just, it's every single season. They do that. They bring in the wrong guys that don't end up fitting their style of play. This year, it, it's Bertuzzi and Domi. They did doesn't look like they fit there. And like you said, I do think Bertuzzi is going to be a Bruin, and I think he comes back in the offseason. But that's a conversation for another time. He, it's just, it's every season. They, it's, yeah. it's just, it's like clockwork. They just don't know how to win they yeah. these guys outside of Barner, matthews Nylander, tavares they they don't those guys they don't know how to play hockey for the toronto maple leafs it's every single season and something's got to give there tommy i wanted to bring this up to you too because i think i forgot to bring it up last time i forgot yeah. who it was i it might have been jeremy ronick who was talking about it it might have been i can't remember who it was an interesting point when we were talking about that Bruins Toronto game, when that shit happened with Tom, uh, Tom Lilgren or yeah. Timothy, Timothy Lilgren, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. John Tavares should have had that C stripped right from him after that game. It, it's just like, okay, like, all right. So Zach said it very well. 
and he was just talking about this toughness. That's the whole point. The whole point, like that situation, like you, like you stand up for your team. Whether like it, it doesn't matter if it was intentional, unintentional. It does not matter. The point is, your your buddy went down. It's just that's what happened. But then you allow Marshan to stand at your bench and fucking bark at every single one of your players, and they're all fucking mute. And it's like, and that's like Reeves. Like Reeves waited till after the game to say the shit he said. First of all, you have no points, and you're a minus eleven, and you're just a plug. That's what you are. You're a plug. You just you plug on the fourth line, and you play like under ten minutes a game. For how vocal that guy is in Reeves, dude, why didn't you do this at intermission? He had why, like like you had a whole like rest of the game to figure this out. He had ample opportunity to go out there and fucking do something. It didn't even have to be to Marshan. He could have went out and he could have addressed it in different ways, right? Hit yeah. one of our stars. Hit one of our. It, there's different ways that you he know. You know for sure if if like Tyler Bertuzzi was barking at the Boston bench and like Lucic was playing, he'd rip somebody's head off the next shift he's out there. It doesn't matter who it is. It, it's just it, it it just exactly what Zach said. Like these guys just don't know how to win. They they don't. You brought in this toughness, and no one knows how to play tough. It's like you just added it to the lineup, and for what? With how underachieving this team has been, and then especially after this whole event took place, I'm absolutely all for ripping the C off Tavares's chest. He doesn't deserve it. They're not. They're they're not. They're an underachieving team. They're they're not for each other. They don't fucking back each other up. They're fucking. I'd rip the C right off his chest. I'd have no problem doing it. Do you think you, you look at you look at the different? You look at the different captains around the league. Uh, you got like like Marshan would if that if roles were reversed and Lilligren did that to say Pasternak for example, just just plug him in there. Marshan would have ripped his head off. That's what I'm saying. Like it's just like... look around the league. Jamie Jamie Ben, for example, same fucking thing, dude. He'd have done the same goddamn thing. We look at we just played Buffalo last night. Even Kyle Pozo, dude. Really? He'd have done the same shit. You know I, what? And, and you know what? The, the Sabres thing. It's like, you know what? It's like Darlene had that hit on Martian and then Poster knocks in the ring. Dude, Poster knocks in the ring. Like, come on. I think Poster knock has one career fight. Exactly. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, but you that's don't have to alarming. be a tough guy to like send a message like that. That's what's alarming to me, dude, is no one did anything. They Nothing. didn't do anything all game. All they did was talk Nothing. about it afterwards. I don't give a shit what you have to say after the game. You had the whole game to do something about it. No one gives a shit about you talking about what you should have done when the third period ended and the game's over. No one I, cares. So I think it was Biz on last week's Chicklets, and he was talking about one of his former coaches on, on one of his teams. He played the clip. Played, he's like, can you imagine walking into the locker room, dude? The whole team's fucking sitting there looking at each other. The clip plays, the coach goes up, replays it, plays it again for everyone, and then leaves the room and figure it out. Like, again, everyone would have been fucking looking at each other being like, what are we doing here? And, like, like that's a lot of money for fucking tough guys. To- and, and, you know, and, and, like, to Zach's point, it's like these guys just don't know how to, like, win. And it's like... They have a fun core group. Like, I, like I love watching Toronto play. Like, I, like they're a fun team to watch. Like, they have a lot of skill, and it's a fun group. And you know, fans might want to see them break through, but 
the band's the band might not be together, especially the way William Nylander's playing. Well, though, and at that point, it, it it raises the question: like, if you know you're going to lose a guy, because again, yeah, you are, you, are you like Edmonton and sign another fucking dude to twelve plus mil, well, 10, ten and twelve? So that's my question: what do you do? Because Marner's no move clause just kicked in. I know Matthews has trade protection. Tavares's contract was abysmal the minute it got signed, and he's got trade protection. Nylander, the way he's playing, is probably going to make anywhere between, I'd say, nine and ten and a half. And he's their best player right now. And they don't have the money for him, but you're not trading him either because you're trying to win now. And obviously, if you trade him, that doesn't help you win. I'm very curious to see what that says. He's been absolutely nails. He's had a point in every game so far. 15 straight games with a point. I think that's the most. I don't know if that's the most in their franchise history. But he literally is seventh in goals. He leads the league in shots on goal. And his next contract is going to be absolute bananas. Yeah, I mean, they're tied right now with Detroit in the Atlantic. Both 8-5-2. and two. Um, I don't know. Like, again, yeah, do you sign this? Do you, again, extend this guy? And now you're as top-heavy as fucking Edmonton. But then you but, have but, haven't but, who do you but who do you move? You'd have to you can't you can't pay four guys. No, it'd be five guys because of Morgan Riley's contract. You're paying five guys almost half your cap. But Probably that's, more than that. That's exactly of your cap. So you'd have no room left. You you'd either have Same to as you and Edmonton. Yeah, you'd have to like convince a guy like Marner to waive, or you'd have to convince Tavares to leave. And no one's taking Tavares' deal. No freaking way. Your best bet is moving Nylander before and hopefully getting a – it would have to be a sign-and-trade type thing, right, where he there's an extension in place for the other you think that's a You think that's a summer deal? I think it could be a deadline deal. It has to be a deadline deal. If the Leafs want any chance at, at getting the return. Because, well, because there's, there's no way, there's no way, no chance in hell that Nylander signs with the Leafs in the offseason. There's no way. So if they want to get anything out of this, anything out of Nylander leaving, they have to do it at the deadline. And it has to be for – there has to be a stud defenseman involved because that's what they need. But knowing Toronto, they're just going to end up trading for another forward and just going to be as top-heavy as they were before. Do you think – like, do you think um, – gosh, I lost my train of thought. It'll come back to me. Give me a second. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm trying to thought. No, I'm that, trying to think of how he's going to word it. Okay, I got it. Do you actually think that they believe that they can like really win now, and they don't trade him, and then they just kind of hope for the best, kind of like what Calgary did? Like they just kind of like, okay, like we like our team. Johnny Gaudreau just kind of skated to free agency. Like, do you think it's similar like that, Zach, with Nylander? I, I don't think so because I don't think that there's any way that the Leafs win now with the defensive the, with the abysmal def- defense outside of Morgan Riley, who let's be real isn't that great of a defender. Yes, he's good, but could be better for you know what he's supposed to be and the amount of money he's getting paid. But there's no way that that team can win a Stanley Cup in its current state. And so if I'm the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You have to move Nylander at the deadline. It is a necessity, and if you don't, GM whoever the GM is has got to go because it, you can't just they let just a guy like. Him in. They just brought him in. Did they? 
Did they? Well, it would be a real abysmal start to his career. It would be a real abysmal start to his career if you take Nylander on the year that he's having and don't get the most you can for him after the year he's having and just let him walk in free agency and get absolutely nothing out of it. it you should should not bring the GM back if that if that ends up happening. If that there's in a my team, if there's a team I'm actually looking at to like really go get him. I mean, this is just purely talking, shooting the shit with my boys. Carolina, they have, a sur- they have a surplus of defensemen. Uh, they have a ass ton of cap space, and they're going to need wingers next year. I I, I think Nylander would be a, a really nice fit alongside a Kotkaniemi or a Sebastian Ajo, and you could take a stud defenseman and, like, Brett Pesci. Even even you even take a guy like Dmitry Orlov. I think Orlov would be a great fit for Toronto. That yeah, just, in the transit in the transition game, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, but I mean, you take you look at Pesci or uh, Orlov in that situation, and it's just it that one of those guys instantly makes the Leafs' deep, defensive core. Like it just takes them from bad to pro- honestly pretty good. It. They really need just that, like, one stud defenseman. Orlov in the right situation is a stud defenseman. It's not in Carolina. He has been subpar yeah. there. Well, he's been playing. He's been playing with Tony D'Angelo. That'll do that to you. That's probably why. Um, <laughs> That's a larger reason why because he's not. He's good defensively, but he's not like elite enough to cover for his defensive miscues. To go back to right. the original point, it, the easiest thing to do right now is to go deal for a guy like. Zadorov, that to, yeah. to start to that's like a start, a minimum. Man, we got on a Leafs tangent. Where do you guys actually think Kane ends up? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Buffalo, dude. I'm I'm gonna I say Buffalo. I I got a feeling, especially. Somehow, I gotta say, I, I think he ends up in Detroit somehow. I think with Tage Thompson, Tage Thompson being out, um, and depending on how long he's out, how severe that wrist injury is. Uh, Kane could be uh, Kane could be right there, uh, and putting him in Buffalo, I think, would be um, probably their best move if they want. And you know, obviously, Kane's not elite as he used to be, but you know, putting someone in there in place of Thompson, you know, for now, um, would be in their best interest because he is a bona fide stud. Bringing up teams like Detroit and Buffalo, they're teams with young studs that are coming up, that are coming up the ranks where a guy like Kane would be a really good mentor slash, you know, person to kind of help yeah. them along the way, right? You look at guys like Zach Benson on Buffalo, Krebs, all these young guys that they have, and then you go on, you know, Detroit side, Lucas Raymond, you know, Casper, all these young guys that they have. What better guy to bring in than, than Patrick Kane? You know, like, I think those two would be good fits. I, I just can't for the life of me understand or – rationalize him being a Toronto Maple Leaf. It, it wouldn't make sense to me. And I just can't see them actually pulling the trigger on it. Yeah. I just, I agree. I can't. I, and I don't know what their rationale for doing it was even having the meeting. I don't know. I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. Um, no. And to mention, how are they going to do it? They have no money. They have like a million in cap space at like the most. Right. You'd have to, you'd have to like, you'd, you'd, unless he takes like some weird deal and you pay him in like bonus money or something. He ain't taking a million bucks, dude. 
There ain't no way he's taking. I'm not saying he would. I'm just saying that's the only way that works. I would be thoroughly shocked if he doesn't end up in Buffalo. I think that that is his best, his best interest, and and Buffalo's best interest. Because you know, to Chris's point, uh, like you got you got Krebs, uh, Benson, Savoy, and there would be no better mentor than than Patrick Kane. He's one of the most elite scorers of all time. Um, So speaking of Buffalo, Thompson, that's a bluff. Did you guys see that? Whose freaking tweet was that saying about talking about Charlie McAvoy with players? So stupid. Did you see that shit? It's like I'm not even. I'm not even trying to sound like a like a biased Bruins fan, but like, and I didn't defend the Ekman Larson hit because that was just a bad play. Like he he knows he messed up. Yeah, that was a bad uncalled for hit. But that was not like an on-purpose, like, tripping incident. Like, that was, like, he was going to make a play on the puck. Thompson cut in, and the skate went up, and he tripped. He came back, so that wasn't the play that hurt him. It was the block shot from McAvoy while they were on the penalty kill. Yeah. That tweet was so bogus, dude. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you had saw it. I was like, are you fucking so bogus? I was like, what are we doing here? Like, shut up. Like, what Like, what are we doing here? Like, go, I mean, cry, it's, about, go cry about your goaltending and your piss-poor defense. That's what you can cry about. It's I'm unfortunate not, for a – at this point, they're 7-8-1. and one. They're not out of it by any means. Like, Yeah, but if you dig a, a deep of, enough hole, you are. Yeah, a lot of hockey left. But depending on how much time he's going to miss, like – He's out a while. Yeah, they said, well, it's, I, it's, it, I think he said, like, what is it, long term? That's what they, I mean, I don't think they gave, like, a time frame. They're, they're just, already, they're already down Tuck and Benson, but they, they might be back this weekend. But losing Thompson's a low blow. Like, that's your number one center. He's, he plays in all situations. And this is a Buffalo team, like, I'm not going to poop on the Sabres, but, like, they suck defensively. They're horrible. Like, how, how they suck at defense makes no sense to me. They have no structure. They play with no structure. They're so relaxed in their defensive coverage, and they don't have goaltending. If it wasn't for UPL, they literally would have way more losses than they do. I don't think – I don't. He hasn't even been that good. To blame that's this on Devin Levi, though, that, that's outrageous. I'm not blaming Levi, but the goaltending hasn't been good. I think it's more of a defensive thing. I don't think it's, it's both. Yeah, I, I mean, both. you take a look. You take a look at Linus Olmark, for example. Look at look at his stats when he was in Buffalo. He was good, yes, but he wasn't like not, not even close to what he did last year with with the Bruins. You put him, and this is any goalie. You put any goalie in front of a good defense, and they're automatically going to be ten times better. And I think that's part of the the, the Sabres problem is like uh, like UPL could be a great goalie. It, it could be I wouldn't say great, but a very good NHL starter if you put the right defense for him. The same with Levi. I mean, Levi got lit up by the Bruins last night. But and, he, and what's crazy is last night he let in five goals and he only finished with a goal saved above expected of like negative one point five five. So I'm like, okay, the chances that Buffalo was giving up may not have been like the most quality, but it's like. That's still not very good. Like, you got to make a save at some point. And all those goals Boston scored were just like the Posser not goal. Like, Charlie McAvoy floated that saucer pass like three feet in front of a Sabres defenseman. And then Zaka, like, all the way from the far boards. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get a stick in the way. Yeah, 
they're not is that as, relaxed in coverage. Yeah, they're not. And I thought bringing in Connor Clifton would have kind of addressed that, but even he did did not look great last night. Um, to, Clifton to, got Clifton. Clifton got overpaid from a historic year from the Bruins. That's yeah. what happened, and that's why I'm kind of glad that Jake DeBrusque didn't have to have a contract extension signed after last year. Well, that's, I mean, that would have been that would have been really astronomical because he had he tied his career high in goals. Like that's like the conversation about Pavel Zaka. I was kind of like, okay, like I like what Zaka did. I want to see what he can do when the Bruins aren't off to this historic run because everybody had a good year. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to see if Jeremy Swayman can replicate it. Like can Linus Olmark do it again? And they are. It's like Pavel Zaka. He's doing it again. He's got like ten points in eleven games. It's Jake like, DeBrusque. Jake DeBrusque for it's not for a lack of trying, but he can't bury a goal. You know what it is. You know what it's a lack of. Not playing with he a Hall of Famer. He can't drive his own line. It's a lack of not playing with a Hall of Famer. He can't drive his own line. He can't. And it's not up to a guy like Matthew Patra to drive his own line. He's a rookie. He's he's playing like a rookie, but he plays hard every game. That line got a goal. I don't think DeBrusque factored into it. But from an individual standpoint, like DeBrusque is getting his looks. He is generating his chances. He just can't bury one. But he can't drive his own line. He needs somebody to do it for him. And he's, not pl- and he's not playing the same way he used to. He's not going to the low areas like he used to and really digging out the pucks. Like, it's just – I think once he buries one, maybe more will come. But he just – he can't drive his own line. It's an inopportunity. It's an inopportune time for him to be in a slump like this. I think that's great for Don Sweeney's pocket. Right, that's well, the case. That's... Like, like his, like his con, like. And I'm not saying like he's not worth a contract extension, but it's like you're not, like you're not producing. And it, I, like, and Connor Ryan had a great article about it. Like, if anyone had a ch- has a chance to read it, please go do. Please go do so. Like, Connor Ryan's one of the best that comes. We'll share in our uh, in our episode thing. It's a really good, uh, really good article. Yeah, I like. It's not for a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of trying. It's not for a lack of he's not getting his looks and chances. He's just not burying them. Yep. And I think a lot of it has to do with he can't drive his own line. And I'm not sure where you put him or put him with. But yep. I don't think I don't think you put him with like Zaka and Posternock. I mean, do you look at a could you look at a combination of uh, say Marshan Zaka or Marshan uh, Patra DeBrusque, Marshan Coyle DeBrusque. I mean, I think putting Jake DeBrusque on a line with Brad Marshan is really the only way that yeah, uh, you can start gener- You can really he can really start generating his scoring chance. Be it Brad Marshan, like like you know Tommy said, Jake DeBrusque can't drive his own line. Who can? Brad Marshan can. Yeah, and you then you take say let's say you take. Uh, Marshan, Patra, and DeBrusque. You got a first line of, and I you know having Charlie Coyle as your one C isn't exactly ideal, but Coyle, Zaka, and Pasternak. But I think that is potentially the only way to really get DeBrusque going is, like Chris said, let's put him on a line with the Hall of Famer because that's what Brad Marshan is. I agree. I, I would I would do that, and I'd say maybe even like just figure out who you want to put with. Zaka and Pasternak. I think the Charlie Coyle line of Frederick and JVR needs to stay together. I wouldn't break that up. But for the time being, I mean, you could put Dan Heinen with 
Zaka. Like, I don't Dan Hyden's been awesome. Yeah, like, I don't hate the guy. Like, he, I always liked him. I thought the Nick Ritchie trade was stupid. Like, it made no sense to me. But I would just go ahead and put Heinen with Zaka and Pasternak. Like, let the brusk cook with Marshan and just kind of hope for the best. You said it best. You know, that that's who he should play with. I mean, it's not a knock on, you know, the other winger, but something's got to give somewhere. He's got to get his bounces. He's get I his think it should really, really – they really need to take a hard look at what they're going to offer Jake DeBrusque. Because let, let's call it for what it is. Brad Marchand's days in a Bruins uniform are numbered. I mean, the, the time is going to come sooner rather than later, which is not going to be a Bruin. And I think they really, really should, you know, take a hard look at what they're going to offer this guy for what he's done. Not playing with a guy like Patrice Bergeron. Not playing with a guy like Brad Marchand. And I, I don't know, man. Like, for me... Like my my cap would be like five mil. Like anything over five mil for this guy a year, I think is too much. If DeBrus keeps up what he's doing now, I think five mil even is pushing it. What's I'm he making sure. now? What does he make now? Isn't it like four? Yeah, it's like four it's a little bit north of four, I believe. Let me pull it up. And it's like with the cap jumping up, it's like his agent's probably like, Well, the cap's going up, so like if you give him five and a half it's not that bad but like i mean but it is though but you can't justify paying a winger five and a half to have one goal and like four assists it says two 2.5 is that for his extension that he signed that's it that's all he makes yeah because he signed that remember he signed that extension it was like a bridge deal wasn't it yeah Oh, four, four years for the uh, 23-24 cap at a four mil. Okay, so it was four. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with I'm kind of with you guys. I think five is like the most I'd go. I mean, he, he's, he's never scored 30. He's come close. He's scored 27 as his career high. I mean, he's, he's, he's responsible defensively, and he plays a good game in the high danger areas, but it's like – you're kind of if you're gonna pay him, like you're tasking him to be, like the next guy. Yeah, I'm um, looking to be counted right on the score goals. Like that's what you're. Fourteen you know, goal or fourteen in fourteen games, one goal, four assists, and I it, think like three of them are primary. It's, I don't know. His, man. Ex- his expected goals is way down. His shooting percentage is like below four percent, which is well below his career high of like 12%. So it's like, yeah, he's getting his chances, but at the end of the day, like that's not enough, like to justify a a major contract. Like, okay, cool. You're generating, but like, yeah, not not for a long extension, especially a dude that's going to be 28 next year. You know what I mean? And and you're, 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 and like you said, Marshan's going to be, you know, eventually not a Bruin anymore. So at some point, like, you know, you're the guy. You're tasked with being the guy to, to be counted on the score goals behind David Posternock. Yeah. And pers- personally, I love Jake DeBrusque. I do. He's been great thus far like, in his career with the Bruins. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the guy behind Posternock. I don't think no. he can. I don't think he can be the guy. And the Bruins desperately need more, more, like another top six guy. They need another top six scorer. And. I it, it, Jake, I just don't think Jake DeBrusque can be a part of that solution when Brad Marchand leaves the Bruins. 
and okay. like Chris said, his days his days are numbered. Um, it's next two three years. It's I see Marshan retiring, but it's Jake DeBrusque is not not the answer behind Pasternak. He cannot be our number two scorer, and it, he definitely should not be. And this is our and this is a very loaded free agency class. So it's like if if Don Sweeney really wants to you know, really kind of pounce on the opportunity to land a, a premier scorer. He has the chance to do that. Right. You know, even, you know, so we'll, we'll see come summertime. I, I don't, I don't really envision Jake DeBrus going anywhere, but. Yeah. I want to, well, hopefully we can stay, see him bury some. Yeah. I want to stay on the topic of the Bruins too. And one thing I wanted to talk with you guys is obviously we saw today that Grizz is going to be coming back sooner than we expected. Um, mm-hmm possibly this weekend who knows like we'll see you know when the time comes but it kind of brings up the conversation has Mason Lowry done enough to stay with this Bruins team I mean so far in six games with the Bruins one goal one assist I like his game offensively but I I can't see a scenario where Matt Grizzlick and Derek Forbert aren't in the lineup and I think Mason Lowry goes down I agree. I also think Mason Lowry goes down. He is, he needs more time uh, to develop. He is just not, he's good. And I think that he will be a very good, uh, you know, very good player for the Bruins um, with uh, McAvoy and Lindholm. Um, But I just, he needs more time to develop defensively because he just, he he doesn't have it yet. He needs, I mean, Charlie McAvoy will make a great mentor for him. Hampus Lindholm will make a great mentor for him. But it's his time with the Bruins um, for at least this season, unless someone else gets hurt, uh, I think is over. Um, and he just – I think he needs a year in Providence to, you know, kind of figure out his defensive game. I couldn't yeah. be more excited about this top four, man, for the future. In Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy, Mason Lowry, Brandon Carlo. I mean, they – he showed real promise. I just, again, to I, I can't see a scenario where Matt Grizzlick isn't playing. Now, listen, if the the, the first time that there's any injury, he's going to be the first call up. So I don't think this is the end of Mason Lowride this season. I mean, listen, there's injuries happen all the time, especially we've seen that with this Bruins defense. And I don't think this is the end of him. I think we're going to see him back up. Um, Matt Grizzlick hasn't been able to stay healthy. Derek Forbert hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I, I think although he's, he's played very well, he's, he's been a sound defenseman for them, making very few mistakes, I don't see a scenario where Forbert or Grizz are getting benched over him, unfortunately. I mean, he's made good plays. He he's made good plays offensively. Like he, he's good jumping in the rush. He he's, he's made he's made really good plays. Like you know, just finding the open man, just excelling in transition. But he he's you could tell he definitely needs some seasoning in Providence to just to work on his defensive game. I mean, he's gotten caved in heavily. Like his numbers are rough. He's got the lowest Corsi four. He's allowed the most attempts. He's getting heavily outshot when he's on the ice in his own zone. It's just, it's not, it's not a bad thing. He's a rookie. It's supposed to happen, but having some extra seasoning in Providence isn't going to hurt him at all. And like you said, God, you date back to like 2014. Like the Bruins' defense, just injuries are going to happen. It's just like inevitable. And he will be the first guy called up because he, 
he, you know, he's good enough and he, he's shown enough to, to everybody that he, he does belong, but he, he could definitely use some, some more development. Yeah. He's not going to hurt. Yeah. I'm really, again, I'm really excited. And I don't know if you guys got an opportunity to watch the, uh, like behind the B, any of those clips. Um, but a lot, they zeroed in on, um, Brandon Carlo, um, especially during that Toronto game that Mason Lowry was paired with Brandon Carlo and Brandon Carlo offered a significant amount of mentorship during that game, you know, just pointers, just, you know, encouraging him. And and that's something I really want to see. Like that, that was a phenomenal pair. And that's a pair that I can see being together going forward, you know, allowing being, you know, for one, Brandon Carlo being a stay at home defenseman and just being, as consistent as he is, he's been he's been probably the most consistent Bruins defenseman this year. I'd say, yeah, not hundred percent. I think he's been probably their best defenseman this year. He's not and, talked about enough. He he doesn't get the credit he deserves. The fan base, the fan base took all the Tuka Rask hate and moved it to Brandon Carlo for some ungodly forsaken reason, and I don't understand it. You're not going to see really his name on the score sheet. You're not going to see his name on the score sheet. Every once in a blue moon, you'll see it. Right, he's not. He's not supposed to. That's not his job. He like, yeah, he can, and he said he wants to work on that. But like, he's a shutdown defenseman. That's what yes. he does, and he excels at it. And he's that type of guy that can pick up on a miscue from a rookie because he's that good. You put Hampus Lindholm with Charlie McAvoy, and that's another good pair. Because you know what? I don't know what happens with Matt Grizzlick when the season ends. Right. I, I don't, don't think, think Matt Grizzlick is a Bruin. After the season, I agree, and I think the emergence of Mason Lowry, and I think it just comes down to like you, you keep a guy like Brandon Carlo over Matt Grizzlick. Oh, hundred well, percent. And that, I mean, the emergence of Lowry raises the question: Could we see Grizzlick dealt at the deadline, potentially in a package for some depth scoring for the Bruins? Like, is that is that like do, if it, do if you guys see gets, that as a possibility? If it's desperate enough, I could see it. Like. I think he was coveted last year at the deadline. Like people might have been interested. Like you never know. His contract's not that expensive either. So, you know, kind of like a hard cap towards the end of the year. I mean, a team might take a chance that they need defensive depth, and Grizzlick is really good in his own end. Barring if, he can, barring if he can stay healthy, he's a lot easier, and he's. I think he's going to be a lot more sought after than a guy like Derek Forbert. I mean, let's be honest. He's going to be. He'd be a lot easier to move. Although I wouldn't, I don't want to see more value for sure. Yeah. That that's kind of what I'm trying to like Forbert has value, but Forbert's contract is the problem. Right. Like, like I don't hate Derek Forbert. I hate his contract. His contract causes problems, problems that cause the Bruins problems to add things that they actually need. Forbert actually, for the most part, has been pretty good this year, but it's unless you get like some Ben Sherratt offer and someone needs a, penalty killing defenseman then yeah. sure but yeah you're you, you, grizzly's gonna net you the best return possible in, in that case yeah i mean I, i'm not against moving him i mean you just have to be completely certain that you're ready for low ride to be an every night defenseman and it 100%. seems like, you know it just seems like right now they're kind of just on the fence about things and it's like well you know grizzly's coming back so you know, he's gonna be the first to go well they don't have to rush him that's the best part Right, like, like Patra, like it was just like this kid did everything in his power to, to, to stay, and he's played really well. Like you know, he's had a couple of games where it's like, you know, you didn't really notice him out there, but then he bounced back, and 
the kids just played awesome, and but it's like you don't have to rush low ride. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Where, where Potra just gives the Bruins options, and it's like a godsend to the lineup. Yeah, dude, he's been he's been awesome, and uh, honestly, I kind of want to bring up another rookie center who, Tommy, you and I were texting about it, man. How unreal he's been. Actually, you're trying to get him on your fantasy team, uh, Connor Bedard. Dude, he has been fucking lighting it up lately, dude. Like he's 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 a beautiful human being. <laughs> dude. Like, dude, he his his like his shot is like unreal. It's like yeah, it's it's like the prettiest shot I've ever seen, and it, he makes it he makes it look so simple. But it's like the way he fires the puck off. It's like it doesn't even look like he's shooting it that hard but it's just like the way he whips it it's like dude he's so good that goal against florida where he pickpocketed whoever that was and went short side and then the celly that ice cold celly of just <laughs> staring down the crowd as he just goes around the net. Well, some, i mean my, my thing with my thing with bedard he has seven goals two assists nine points in his last seven games yeah he's just on an absolute heater right absolute there. tear but my one worry for my one worry for bedard is his defense. He, it just, I, I feel he's small. He's a smaller guy. Um, yeah. And I just think that he could end up being somewhat of a defensive liability. Could, I mean, it does his, does his offense and his scoring and the way he generates these chances outweigh that problem? Maybe, but I think that he could definitely end yeah. up being a defense could definitely end up being a problem for him. And I think that's someone that he could really use as a mentor in in that scenario, in the defensive scenario, is is Nick Foligno. Yeah, I 100%. think that he. I th- I really think that him being on the Blackhawks is really good for Bedard and mentoring him in that aspect because Bedard definitely needs some defensive help. Dude, I'm trying 100%. to figure out who the fuck he picked. Pa- oh, Kevin Stenlin, because he deserves to have his name out there because that was gross. Um. That was that was disgusting. That whole goal, Dude. like that was just yeah. like ice cold. Like I can't believe that happened. I think another factor that people probably aren't seeing, and one thing I'm noticing is I feel like the media has significantly got off his ass. It's a thank God. You know, and, and I, I was listening to the empty netters boys uh earlier. I just today. I listen I listened to that too, like right before we got on. Yeah, they had so they had JR on uh Jeremy Roenick and they asked him the same thing, like, do you think this has had anything to do with him, you know, having a little more freedom to finally enjoy himself to go out and play the game he loves without the headache of people on his ass twenty four seven every fucking period. He's gotta you know, someone he can't even take a shit up by himself. Like, again, he's going out there and doing what he does: score goals. Yeah. That's exactly what he's doing. And this, that Florida goal, dude, the, I can probably count on one hand how many guys can score that goal at that angle. Especially that as a right-handed shot, dude. That's an outrageous angle. He was borderline at the goal line. And again, dude, just to see like this Blackhawks team, like. Another thing that was really encouraging to me during that game was he got fucking buried by Dmitry Kulikov. Popped right up. Matt Matt Kachuk was in his face. Listen, when you have Matty Kachuk in your face trying to fucking get you to get in you trying to get you to go, you're a special player. He wants to get you off your game. That's how Matt Kachuk plays. 
Yeah. The fact that he just was completely unfazed. Nick Felino goes over and, and buries Kulikov. Kulikov doesn't want to go with Felino. That's what I miss, right? For, yeah, I miss Nick Felino so much. I love Nick Felino. You know what? He got his bag. He deserves it. He deserves every every penny he gets. He could absolutely be the captain of that Chicago team. And they're they're fun to watch, man. Like again, they have a couple really young players that I think are going to be really good at the you know at the NHL level. Korchinski, Oliver Moore is playing, ripping it up at Minnesota right now. He was you know the other first round pick behind Bedard. Just again, they're they're fun to watch. And now that he Bedard is finally getting to play his game and score goals and do what he's you know paid to do, it's it's only going to be better. I see I see him being third. Around thirty goals, seventy points ish. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I mean, it's just nice he has that pressure taken off of him. I mean, he couldn't even like walk outside without the media. Like, and look, I get it. Like, he is like the next best thing. Like, I get it. But I think it also like you know people shouldn't forget too this rookie class is a very special rookie class like there's a lot of very good young players you know and bedard just kind of like shot up the charts in terms of rookie rankings like he just went on like a heater but it's good for bedard i'm happy he's you know had that success i mean the media was all over him the first week of the season like and it and it also comes with just you know nationally covered games but it you know just Happy to see him doing good. I mean, he's really fun to watch. He's got a wicked shot, and, you know, it's only the beginning for for a special player like him. Let's not forget he's 18 years old, dude. Like, he's a fucking kid. 18 years old. He handled all of it like an absolute pro, and he's been in the spotlight since he's been about 15 years old. So he's used to this. But, again, being in the NHL, and you're at a whole different level now. You know, it's yeah. completely different. And now that they've kind of backed off, how many friggin' primetime games that was he a on? Lot, a with lot. TNT. I, I think I think like I think like for the entire year, I think Chicago has like thirteen nationally televised games. And it's just the Bedard effect. It's just the way it is. Like Yeah, I mean, and he's the sole reason. I mean, let's call it for what it is. He is the sole reason they're on any sort of primetime. Otherwise, yeah, that, team, that team is dude, Jared Tenorti is their like second pair defenseman. He's yeah. like an eighth on most teams. Yeah, I mean he's been dude. Just again, like Bedard, he's been unbelievable. And I think I made a post earlier this week. It's like Fantilli also had a beautiful goal this week. And it's like every time you start to forget about one of these rookies that were drafted super high. They come out with a highlight reel. There's goal. so many though. Like, they, like I mean, look at look at the Leo Carlson hat trick from last week. Yeah, like that was bare. I mean, I saw some stuff on it that was barely talked about compared to like what you see like Bedard doing. Like Leo Carlson and Adam Fantilli don't get damn near the recognition that Bedard does, and they're both fantastic hockey players. Even Mitnikoff, that defenseman for the Ducks, yeah. he's disgustingly good. Dude, poor like, Korchinski too. Korchinski is more of a defensive, defensive defenseman, so he's not going to get the the recognition, the love, or whatever, because he's not on the score sheet as much. But he's fucking yeah. damn good, man. I mean, he he's solid for that team. He's going to be a solid defenseman for the next ten plus years. You want to know who else is good? 
Ooh. Alexi Lafreniere. Yeah, I, dude, I was literally just about to segue into that. Dude, John, Johnny's going to love that. I am so happy for Alexi Lafreniere because that poor guy has been buried on the left wing, on the third line, because of the way the roster is constructed. Because Chris Kreider and Artemi Panarin are ahead of him. And that's just the way it is. Those are veteran guys. Those are important guys. They're not guys that are going to, you know, shoulder the third line, like, burial. But Peter Laviolette, doing the polar opposite of Gerard Gallant, has finally put him on his off wing, and he's playing with Artemi Panarin. And it has been absolutely insane. So I'm going to go on a really long tangent for just a second. Just bear with me. So, like, as a line, they're absolutely dominating everybody. Their core side four is a 64.23%. Their Fenwick is a 60%. They're outshooting the opposition. They have five goals as a line. They're shattering their expected rate. Literally, the last four games for Panarin, Lafreniere, and Trocek, Panarin has three goals and five assists. Lafreniere has three goals, four assists. Trocek has three goals, four assists. Lafreniere finally hit 100 points. He's playing with confidence, and it's great that he's playing alongside world-class players. They finally put him in a position to succeed. That is what they've needed to do with him the entire time, and it's just nice that he's developing. He had that disgusting shootout goal against Columbus after he got the, uh, the game-tying goal with 11 seconds left. Friend of the program, Johnny Lazarus, he got to actually talk to him after the – uh, Columbus game and he just had a fun quote and he just was like it's fun coming to the rink every day trying to work they have a good group I don't know just coming to the rink having a smile on my face trying to be better there's a kid who's just happy to play and he's getting the opportunity and that's all you can ask for from the first overall pick in the 2020 draft like he's had a lot of pressure from day one playing in New York in that big heavy market but he's finally getting to play with guys like Panarin and Trocek, and it's just really, really nice for him to actually have the success he's having. Like, yeah, I actually couldn't be happier for the guy. I, I really am. Like, you know, everyone's criticized him from day one because he's not a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews, and instead it took a couple of years. But he's he's finally playing with confidence, and he's and he's happy doing what he's doing. And Artemi Panarin has points in 15 consecutive games and is on an absolute heater right now. The Rangers are hot, but this is all about Alexi Lafreniere. That kid deserves every praise in the world right now. Yeah, dude, that, that backhand goal he had in the shootout was fucking- That was disgusting. Like, go wash your hands, you filthy animal with your with your little mustache. Yeah, like, like, that was disgusting, dude. Like, I think you did a phenomenal job just kind of out, outlining everything. Like, again, yeah, the shit that he's gotten, calling him a bus, calling him all this shit. Like, he, dude, he's, ha- he's on a fucking tear right now. And you know what? He's playing with a guy like Panarin, who probably is the heart favorite at this point, right? I think we can all agree at this point. Very early in the season, but still. Seven goals, four assists, 11 points, plus three, you, you know. And this Rangers team as a whole, it goes to show, I, dude, I love Peter Laviolette as a coach. One And one thing that kind of is going under the radar, too, is the play of Eric Gustafson. Eric yeah. Gustafson, the Rangers kind of took a chance on Eric Gustafson, right? He's been he, – he's shown flashes where he's had 60-point stints, 
Um, his last really good season was under Laviolette with the Washington Capitals, right? Now, all of a sudden, the Rangers, you know, Adam Fox goes down. Eric Gustafson steps in, and he's now quarterbacking that power play, and he's doing a fucking damn good job of it. Heck, yeah, they got the second-best power play in the league. And and he, listen, and he's running it well. Yeah, no, well, the, he, was, he was always good at that. Yeah, and it, it's a testament of how well this Rangers team is built. Let's not forget Igor Shosturkin is out. And Jonathan Quick is on like vintage Jonathan right Quick. In. Vintage. He's John got Real. A, he's got a 9.28 save percentage, a 1.98 goals against average, a shutout, and he stopped 141 of 152 shots. I think he's like top 10 in goal saved above expected. He's like slightly above Shesterkin, but it's just he's played really well. He had a very shaky preseason. Yeah, and you know, it's just they're they're playing with so much structure. Will they will, are not the same team as they were last year? We it brought is up like last episode, dude. We brought up last episode. Will the play of Will Cooley? I fucking mm-hmm. love this kid's game. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but what to you? What does this mean for a guy like Capo Caco? Who's well, still, he's had he's he's had opportunities. He's, he's had, been on the he's been on the top line with uh, Zabanajad and Kreider, and I don't think that worked. And then he swapped, and now he's on the third line. And Blake Wheeler's up there because they're not breaking up the Trocheck line. And, no. and Trocheck was a third line center to start the year, and then he moved up because Hedel got hurt. And that line's just caught lightning in a bottle. But for Kako, it's like, what do you make of him at this point? Like, how do you got, think he, got that going? He's got two points in what? For how, however many was it? Fifteen games they've played. Fourteen, fifteen, yeah. But he's he's got like two points. He's not really generating anything. It's not for a lack of opportunity, and and he's playing his strong side. Where you know you see a guy like Lafreniere, he's playing his offside, and look, and look what he's doing. And it's not for a lack of opportunity. He's been put in the same position to have success. You're playing with guys like Kreider and Zabanajad. You know those are two world class players that do a very good job of of producing. So yeah, I don't know what you do with Kako. He's actually in the last year of his deal, his bridge deal. I think with I Alexi Lafreniere, it, it this has, this is a long time coming. Um, and you take a look at Capo Caco, and he has I don't know the, I don't know the exact number, but he has just about as many points as Jack Hughes has scored in this season. Yeah, one oh, season. Yeah. I think Jack, was like, one season from Jack Hughes, is, I think more points than Capo Caco has in his entire career. I mean, yeah. it gets to the point where. Do, do do the Rangers stop playing him? Like he's not like Tommy said, he's producing nothing. And it's again not for a lack of opportunity because the opportunity's there. When you're playing with uh Zibanejad and Kreider, I mean, it seems like it would be hard to not get opportunities. Yeah. Th- those are two of those are two fantastic veteran hockey players that consistently put up points season to season. They they do it all. And Kako Capo Kako just continues to disappoint. The you know, second overall pick from 2019 just continues to be absolutely abysmal for for the Rangers. And do you do you think like a change of scenery would work, or do you think like Capo Kako just like is who he is, and he might just be more of a third line defensive grinder type? I mean, there's really there's really only one way to find out, and I think that the Rangers end up moving on from him because it doesn't it obviously doesn't seem like it's working. And there have been scenarios where we see a player go to a new team and absolutely light it up, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Like, look at like to take Power Bertuzzi for an example. 
awesome year in Boston, not great with the Leafs. I really feel like it depends on the situation for a lot of these players. And I think sure. Capo could definitely benefit from a change of scenery. Listen, 80, in 82 games last year, he finished with 18 goals, 22 assists, 40 points, and was a plus 12. That was this a career season. year. Yeah, well, this season, 14 games, one goal, one assist, two points. And to Zach's point, in 253 career games, 45 goals, 55 assists, 100 points, and is even in his career. He signed, so he signed in a two-year extension in 2022. So to answer your question about a change of scenery, I think it's the only thing you can do, especially when you have your team running as well as a well-oiled machine right now and everyone's going, everyone's firing on all cylinders but one guy. It makes it really hard to break things up. And and is it even worth breaking up what's working just to get one other guy going? You know what I mean? And yeah, it, it, it very well could be. I bring it I bring up a guy like Jake Zaboral, right? Who obviously for us we're big Bruins fans. So that's like the comparable. Obviously didn't go two overall, but he was a first round pick and he just hasn't hasn't gotten it done. He hasn't been able to crack the lineup and yeah, could a change of scenery benefit a guy like that? Absolutely. And I think the same goes for Kako. Like, listen, it's not for it's not because the Rangers haven't tried to put him in a position to, you know, to succeed, but this is a very top heavy Rangers team. Very top heavy. I mean, they're they're loaded offensively. And who's he gonna play in front of at this point? No one. Nope. You're not gonna break up any of these lines now that Lafreniere's he's, going. He's swapping he's swapping with Wheeler, who's been just as the same production wise. Right, That's and what done because you're yeah. not breaking up the Lafreniere line. That 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 line's clicking on all cylinders. You're not you're not breaking that up. You have Panarin playing at a heart heart trophy level, right? Trocheck's played. Trocheck's played fine, and Lafreniere finally is doing what you've wanted him to do for the last three years. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I think a change of scenery could absolutely benefit a guy like Capo Caco. Um, and again, yeah, this team is only going to get more dangerous. Once Adam Fox comes back, once Shesterkin comes back, I mean, should be in the next couple weeks, hopefully. Shesterkin, Shesterkin might come back Saturday. So, again, that's a, pivotal, now, that's a pivotal game against the New Jersey Devils. And now, and now you're talking two legit goaltenders. The way Jonathan Quick has played, he is a serviceable, a serviceable backup. He's shown it. This, this even, is even Louis Domingue got a win. He did. Yes, he did. And you know, like that, I mean, goaltending's getting it done too. You know, like, I mean, when the rain and when the Rangers skaters are playing the way that they're playing, makes it very hard for these goaltenders not to succeed. And that's with Adam Fox out. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, this Rangers, this the, Rangers team looks scared. I think the Rangers are either above the Bruins or second in terms of goals against in all situations, and they average the second fewest goals against, like per game. They're just extremely good, and they're getting it done despite the injuries. Where a team like the Devils are not right now. No, and and and, and, and like you can tell, a guy like Jack Hughes is missed. They're also without Nico Heischer. Don't know when Heischer's coming back. Uh, I don't know if uh, Hughes is making the trip uh, to Pittsburgh. He may meet the team, but he might be ready enough to play on Saturday against. The Rangers, but it has been pretty bad uh, in in good old Newark, New Jersey. 
yeah, for, for the Devils. Like they've just they're 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 getting it done a little bit offensively, but defensively they are a nightmare. Their goaltending is brutal. Um, they rank twenty seventh in goals against. They average three point eight six goals against per game, and their goaltending has a combined negative six goal saved above expected. It's not very good, and I I wonder if even if Hughes is back, what like what do you do from here? Because you can't trot that out every day. You know, it's I mean, kind the, of like one of those things the, where like Hughes has been so good offensively that it's masked those issues. Where now he's gone, and it's very apparent that's been an issue. The I mean, Devils are a really interesting, a really interesting case because you brought in Vitek Vanacek, who you know was supposed to you know solve these issues, and he looked really good to start last season, and has been bad since. Akira Schmidt looked so good in the playoffs been terrible since it's just something it's the same issue it's it's almost it's almost the same issue as Edmonton you you have such a top heavy lineup such forward heavy lineup and the defense and goaltending is absolutely abysmal it's something's got to give because like you can't have a guy like Kevin Ball going out there every night who is just absolutely horrible Every time he steps on the ice, it just seems like something bad. Like, and the biggest they're, they're, they're going to give up a goal. And the biggest problem is guys like Jonas Siegenthaler and John Marino, who were really good last year in terms of shutting down and limiting the opposition to anything, haven't been the same in terms of shut down. The Devils allow a ton of odd man rushes, and if you're going to be that leaky in your defensive coverage, you got to get a save. Like that game against Winnipeg. I think they allowed – well, they allowed six goals. One was an empty net. But a few of those goals, it's like there were no bodies around. And Winnipeg just had a fun time in the offensive zone. The goaltending's not getting it done. The defense looks abysmal. And you can only outscore these problems for so long. And I think that's the biggest issue in New Jersey. The goaltending was the biggest question mark entering the year. And now it's become just a problem. And if the season has has a way of derailing itself, it's going to come in net. Could yeah. the Devils go? Could the Devils go for a guy like Nikita Zadorov? Like, could that be a potential? Could that be a possibility for in New Jersey? I think uh, James Nichols. He um, he he said like a close source to him was talking about how like Zadorov would welcome a trade in New Jersey. I think that would help just having a physical shutdown guy on the back end because they don't really have one. Like that would be a great idea. Like they added Timo Meyer for physicality because they didn't have any. You know, you just have guys bullying Hughes and, and he sure up front the whole time. Tyler Toffoli has been a great ad, but at, at the same time, like, it's just defense. And, and they're just not playing good defensively. And the goaltending has just been even worse. I think to, to Zach's point, bringing up Edmonton, right, as a comparable. It's a good comparable. Like, the goaltending is just I think at shitty. least they're doing the right things in drafting a guy like Simon Nemec, Luke Hughes. Like, but are they – Yes, at least they're addressing it. That was a horrible draft pick, Simone. Nemec. I will. I will say that confidently. I that think it's way draft. too that early. Was a, that was a draft for need. You could have drafted Logan Cooley. That was a draft for need. You the could say only, the same for, for the, the only, Well, that was a stupid pick. You shouldn't have picked Slavkovsky. You had a million picks. You could have picked Shane Wright. You could have picked Logan Cooley. How would you want Shane Wright though? 
I don't know, but I'm just saying that was like the consensus pick. Instead, you got Slavkovsky. He hasn't been good. No, but Nemich, I just, Nemich no. was a pick. Nemich was a pick for need. That was what that was. The Devils wanted a defenseman, so they got one. They needed one. As and they, they lost, and they lost a guy like Damon Severson, who was very good for them last year, and was a steady presence on the third pair. And now you have Luke Hughes, who was paired with Brendan Smith the whole time, and that pair has been a nightmare. I think, and then you put Luke Hughes with Dougie Hamilton, and that pair was brutal last night. Yeah, I, I think it's too early. At least they're addressing. I think it's too early to say that Nemec wasn't the pick. I, I got to watch him, dude, and he's going to be a good player. Maybe not this no, year. No, but I think, like, you're seeing what Logan Cooley's doing, and it's like, damn. We he doesn't have a choice. He's on the first line. He's he's getting first-line minutes he, in Arizona. He, he, he could have stayed in college. Why would why? But he but he chose to go to the NHL. But I'm just saying, like they could have easily drafted a better player in Logan Cooley. They could have, but now they now you're talking three centers. You're three centers deep. Hey, the Rangers. The Rangers have it. Look at their depth. Look at LA's depth. But they have goaltending and defense. Hey, LA drafted Quentin Byfield as a center. He's playing top line wing and is excelling right now. Yeah, but they also have defense. And yeah, but they also have yeah, but their center depth is literally unmatched. I think they have the best center depth in the league. Byfield isn't playing center though. Kopitar, Deneau, and Dubois—that's insane. I'm saying Byfield isn't playing center. If we're talking about those drafts, he's not—he's not now, but he—he he was drafted as a center. Yeah, he was drafted as a center, and he didn't excel as a center, so they moved into the wing, and he's playing great. Could have done the same with Cooley, I guess, but again, this. As far as the Devils go, it's yeah, it's it's similar to the Oilers as as far as this team will go as Jack Hughes goes. If Jack Hughes is oh yeah, hundred percent, they will not go. And well, that's and and I think that's just been like apparent. It's like he's out, and it's like they're doing enough offensively, but it's like they were scoring like seven goals a game, and the power play was scorching hot. Now he's gone. It's like okay, our goaltending really sucked the whole time. A guy that I'd be interested to see, I think we brought it up last time we were talking about the Ducks, Ducks and uh, Devils, John Gibson. Gibson would be fine behind the Devils, but if they're that shitty defensively, like that's not good for him. I think he gives you a better chance than Schmied and, and Vanek yeah. at this point. And, and again, yeah. for, is Anaheim realistically going to compete this year? I mean, listen, they they've shown promise. Gibson asked for a trade. I wonder if they, you know, I'd be curious. I'd be curious because listen, once Hughes comes back, and if he can stay healthy, and he that's can who the Oilers should go get. It, it would be tricky with the cap. I but think his cap hit. His cap hit's not horrible. I'm curious. Like, I, think, I think he. I think he makes like six. I mean, I think the yeah. Oilers were in on Bennington too, and Bennington makes six. And Bennington's been very good this year. He has. I mean, for, for a team like the Blues who aren't great. Good at all. Um, not good at all. I think if I'm New Jersey, I'd rather Gibson. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, Bennington has that. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what Fitzgerald does. I don't think he goes out and, like, overpays for a goalie. But the Devils definitely need to uh, get Hughes back and kind of get back on track defensively. And just the goaltending needs to just be better. Yeah, you know, this it just it's not good. This Metro division is going completely opposite of how I thought it would. I yeah, mean, listen, Washington, Washington's in second place. Pittsburgh's in like fourth or third. Columbus, I thought, was going to have a back year, man. No. Dude, Jack, dude, good Branson has more points than Johnny Gaudreau. 
it, it makes no sense to me. The Islanders are below 500. Yeah, they suck. They're junk. Sorokin has just been abysmal in yeah, that. Sorokin, he just Sorokin's looks been awful. Like uncharacteristically bad. <laughs> he has, dude, but he gets fucking peppered every single night. Like it's weird because that that team, all they pride themselves on is defense. They're right. like, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch yeah. the Islanders play hockey offensively. That Dude, team is so fucking boring. Philly's ahead of them right now, and listen, Philly's not far behind New Jersey at this point. Philly's up three one right now in Carolina. So, uh, yeah, this tonight they could pass. They could pass New Jersey. New Jersey no, gets getting, New getting, Jersey getting hard. Huh. New getting Jersey Carter Hart back for the for the, getting Carter Hart back for the Flyers is huge, and yeah. I think that that 100%. team doesn't doesn't get enough credit. I think because they don't they don't have these big name guys like some of these other teams have. They don't have like I like yeah they got Konechny they got Couturier, but those aren't like they're not superstars. They're good they're moving they're the needle. Superstars, yeah. It's like and everybody had Philly at the bottom of the power rankings, but I I. I I don't think that they're that bad of a team. They might look bad on paper, but like, let's look, look at a guy like Nick Sealer, who's been awesome defensively for that team. And yeah. it's just like you got these like almost like guys that people don't hear of that are just really just flying under the radar and playing awesome hockey for Philadelphia. Yeah. I really think that they could be a dark horse bubble playoff team. Come I late this season. Take. I love that take too. I love it too. If they can sustain it. Heck yeah, I'm all for it. Dude, two give me that guys. rowdy, give me that rowdy crowd in the playoffs. Two young guys I'm really excited about on Philly that have played really well. Bobby Brink, who's dude, he's right up there. Dude, he's fun to watch. He's so good, dude. And Tyson Forrester as well, who's pretty high pick for Philly um a few years back. And dude, listen, this team isn't as far away as you think. They've got a few draft picks. Matt Mitchkov is going to probably be here, I'd say, next Two year or the year after. I think it's like a couple of years. I don't know how like that goes. I think he had, KHL. I think he had, a, he had a three-year contract in the KHL when he got drafted. So I don't think it's next year, but I think the year after he's yeah. NHL eligible. Once dude, he's going to like, he's going to light the world on fire. Let's not forget that they, the year prior to that, they drafted Cutter Gauthier. Who's fucking ripping it up? Oh my god, I forgot he's so about good. him. Ripping it up at BC right now. I forgot yeah. about him, dude. Dude, listen, this this Philly team is not as far away as you think. They don't have a ton of bad contracts. They no, they, they got really, they they got rid of most of them. I love them bringing in a guy like Danny Breer, who's aware he he knows how this these kind of things work. He's he doing what Philly work. needs to do, and that's rebuild. Exactly. Well, this is the thing, man. He didn't walk into that big of a fucking disaster. Like, no, but it's like no, but it's like how many times have the Flyers just like neglected rebuilding and just trying to do the same shit over and over, like, and it just wasn't working. I'm I'm, I'm going. Yeah, With Chuck Fletcher. It was every season. Exactly. Like he would just do the same shit every year, and it just never worked. Like. That Tony D'Angelo contract and trade, like, that was so dumb. And, like, poor Briere had to, like, eat half of it. <laughs> like, it was just so dumb. It's just shit like that. It's like, why would, like, why'd you go out and just, it, it, Briere's doing it the right way. He, he's going ahead and, like, rebuilding, and he's got these young guys playing well. 
Yeah, yeah. dude. Once Mitchkov comes over, dude, that that team is gonna be like. Mitchkov and Gautier are gonna like. I forget just, which one of you said it, but they're, they're going to light the world on fire. They'll light the world on fire, dude. Yeah, like, going down their prospect list, obviously they've got Mitchkov 1, Cotier 2, Tyson Forrester. He was drafted 23rd overall in 2020. He's already in the lineup. Bobby Brink, 34th overall in 2019. He's in the lineup. They just drafted last year from the London uh, Knights, Oliver Bonk, uh, yeah. Rat Bonk's son. Right. Yeah. I, like, I like that pick. Yeah. Um. Dude, like, they're not as far away as you think. Like, they're doing all the right things. Are they going to be a playoff team? Like Zach said, I could see them being a bubble playoff team, but I could also see them at some point kind of collapsing a little bit and getting back into that top ten. And get, especially in this draft coming up, if they're able to land another top ten pick, it's only going to benefit them. 100%. I think a, a, big, a big deal for the Flyers is Carter Hart playing up to what Carter Hart can do. Yeah. Because since since they're you know they had that run in 2020 where you know if it wasn't for COVID they looked like a cup team. Yeah. Um and if Carter Hart can play like he did then and can, can consistently do that, that is a really big piece to Flyer success going forward because he Carter Hart is capable of being a top ten borderline top five NHL goalie. I agree. Yeah. Well, listen, um, if that's all that you guys have, um, if there's anything, I'll, I'll kind of let you guys go around the horn if there's anything else you guys want to bring up uh, in this episode. Um, is that all you guys got? Uh, two things. Like, they're doing the Quebec games. Uh, L.A. will have two preseason games at the Videotron Center in Quebec. They'll be playing the Boston Bruins and the Florida Panthers. And then just a team I want to just, like, give a little bit of love to is the Dallas Stars. I feel like of all the teams that are really red hot in the entire league, I feel like they're not getting talked about enough. And that team is a wagon. And Matt Duchesne has been arguably the best free agent signing uh, of the summer. And him, Marchment, and Sagan as a line has been absolutely fire. So they, they deserve some love. I'll probably dive into them over the next week and bring a little bit more of some little nuggies to the table. But – Dallas deserves to be talked about more than they are, you know, considering like all the other teams like like Boston and Vegas and Vancouver, like Dallas deserves that love too. Like they are just as good as those teams and they have a very deep lineup. Yeah. You know, just alongside with those guys. Yeah. Ottinger has been awesome. And I know our boys, uh, Chris and Dan Powers over at uh, Empty Netters are going to be happy to hear that. Um, I know Duchesne's their boy, so. That's definitely he's been great. He's been great. Like, and he, yeah. he had the, uh, he had the, the great uh, saucer pass to Sagan for the tying goal last night. And then he capped it off the game winner. I mean, just, he's, he's been great. And it's been great for Sagan because Sagan can't really drive his own line anymore. So having Duchesne who kind of can, that's been a godsend for Dallas. And that's lethal for them because they were a very top line heavy team where they relied on that top line for goals. Like last year, the top line had 52 goals and the next closest line had 26 and that was their third line. So getting that extra boost of production is huge for a team that was already really good offensively. Yeah. A clip, a clip that I found last night um, that we posted to the uh, drop the mitts page. Um, it was a goal by Rufe Hintz and a play, so nasty. a play that was started by Miro Heiskanen, who at this point in time, I'm confident in saying that he's, a top three defenseman, top three. He's definitely he's definitely top five. 
I'm I'm confident in saying he's a top. I'd put him at three at this point. Um, I encourage everyone to go watch it. I mean, dude, his edge work on the plate of completely fake out every single defender and then the finish by Rupe Hints, fucking clap bomb. Unbelievable goal, dude. It was so nice. Um, but, yeah, Tommy, you're absolutely right. I don't think they get nearly enough love that they should. Um, I think they're going to be a dangerous, dangerous team coming out of the they're, – They're almost running away with the Central at this point. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, they're going to be really dangerous in that Western Conference. Um, so, yeah, that, that's honestly a good uh, good shout-out for sure because, yeah, they don't get anywhere near the credit they should. Um, Zach, is that uh, anything else you want to bring up? No, I think I'm all set. Well, hey, buddy, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for coming on this episode. You fucking killed it. Um, honestly, to have you two, you know, a part of this now, it's – honestly an honor and and just so good to be able to talk puck with you boys so heck yeah yes without further ado um we have an awesome interview you know every every interview that we have is awesome you know being able to talk to these guys and get them you know get their stories their upbringings how they fell in love with the game of hockey um has been just such an honor and, and amazing experience so um, without further ado, we bring you the 27th overall pick in the 2023 NHL draft to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, current Oshawa Generals um, assistant captain, uh, Callum Ritchie. Have a great night, guys. Take Welcome back to another episode of Drop the Mitts Hockey Podcast brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions. We have a great guest here. Um, 27th overall pick in the 2023 uh, NHL draft to the Colorado Avalanche um, and current member of the Oshawa Generals, uh, Cal Ritchie. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm good, man. Can't complain. Uh, you know, I understand that you're, you know, rehabbing from shoulder surgery at the end of the season. How is the rehab going? Um, you must be itching to get back out there with your teammates. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's It's been a long time and uh, it's coming along well and I'm right on track with where the surgeon wants me, so uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get back, and all the trainers are putting in tons of work for me. Yeah, dude, that, and that's awesome, and it looks like, you know, you got a pretty good team coming back with you, and uh, yeah, that, that's huge, and uh, when are you anticipating on, you know, getting back? Um, Like, I'm hoping, like, anytime soon, uh, just like whenever the doctors can clear me, so. Cool, man. Not really yeah. in my hands at this point, but just whenever <laughs> the doctors feel I'm ready, I'll, I'll be good to go. Yeah, good shit, dude. Um. So I kind of wanted to start out, you know, talking about like your early days growing up playing hockey, um, kind of what got you into the game. Um, so, you know, growing up and starting out, who would you credit as your biggest influence for your love of the game? Um, definitely my dad. Like uh, he played growing up, so he got me into it early. And then I have an older brother who played, obviously. So um, I was always kind of trying to follow in his footsteps and play hockey with him. So uh, it was kind of great for me growing up to always kind of compete with my brother and uh, definitely uh, is why I'm in the position I am today. So as you were growing up, did you have a favorite player, um, you know, that you that you followed? And even now, do you have a player that's in the league now that you kind of try to emulate your game after and, and just kind of um, take little tidbits from in their game? Yeah, for sure. I think, like, growing up, I always loved Sidney Crosby. Um, he's, like, great two-way guy and um, he's, like, a great person off the ice, too, so. I was always a huge uh, Crosby fan, and then I like Jonathan Taves, too. Um, good two-way game center. Uh, I think that's kind of the way I try to play play hockey, so 
Um, yeah, kind of look at those two guys kind of growing up. But now, I mean, um, obviously at Colorado and at camp and all that, I was skating on the ice with like McKinnon and Ranson and those guys. So obviously I try to take stuff from their game and, and try to put it into mine. So, um, I mean, yeah, at this level, at this point in my career, I kind of just look at, I mean, whoever in the NHL and try to take their, their good habits and their uh, best abilities and try to put it into my game. Yeah, for sure, man. And, you know, you mentioned that growing up with an older brother, you know, Ethan's in, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins organization. Um, got a chance to interview him. Literally one of the nicest humans I got to talk to, man. And, like, honestly, I was kind of like we were just talking about it. I was kind of wandering around that locker room looking for someone. And he just, again, was so just open to answering questions and just so, so you know, kind and generous. Um, he, he talked about in that interview um, – you know, you guys growing up and always shooting pucks in the garage together, um, you know, mini hockey battles. Um, what does it mean to you to have a brother who's also extremely talented, right? Um, and what kind of mentorship has Ethan offered you both on and off the ice? Yeah, so much. Like, he's uh, he's my best friend. And um, obviously growing up with him, being able to compete with him was, was huge. And uh, I think the biggest um, – the biggest year definitely was during COVID when we were just together working on working on our game at home in our basement and in our garage shooting pucks and all that. And, um, my, I found my game really elevated from that year, just being able to train with him. And uh, yeah, that was definitely huge for me having having a brother to kind of lean on for support and all that um, throughout like my whole career. So um, yeah, it's obviously been great, and yeah, he's my best friend. Yeah, you know, and and one of the questions I asked, I, I had to know who who came out on top during those mini hockey battles. And uh, I'm curious what your answer is. And uh, you, you probably saw his answer on there that, you know, you're the more skilled one and he's the brute. Uh, who usually came out on top in those battles? Yeah, he'd, he'd come out on top <laughs> in a minute. But, um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd be trying to do some some skill plays and he just laid a body on me. Being three years older, he was a lot bigger and stronger than me, so. Uh, definitely helped. It definitely helped me just in general. Just any sport we played, he'd be he definitely pretty physical on me. So definitely. Uh, I feel like he'd be that dude that just like someone tries to pull like a Michigan, he would just yeah. you know head down, just fucking destroy someone. But um, yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I always love seeing those. You know, the stories about you know brothers coming into the league together and you know being able to grow up and kind of um, you know work with each other. And obviously, you guys seem so close. To, you know, so that's awesome to see. You always love seeing those kind of stories, you know. Yeah. Uh, so kind of to pivot a little bit, you had an unbelievable performance at the Helenka Gretzky Cup, which is a huge tournament. You know, it's like the best of the best and you get to represent your country. Um, you had an incredible tournament earning, you know, gold medal, most assists. You had six and most points at 10. Um, talk to us about that tournament and what it meant to you to be able to represent your country and obviously win gold. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. I mean, anytime you get the chance to represent your country at that level, it's it's unbelievable. And um, we had a great team, and I was really glad I was able to kind of contribute and and uh, help the team. And uh, obviously, winning gold was was unreal. And uh, definitely, pro I think it's probably my my greatest hockey moment. I think greatest accomplishment. Yeah, that was my next question. Is this is this the number one moment you know in throughout your hockey career so far? Um, so that kind of answers my question. Um, dude, like that team was, at, I was going through the list, man, that team, like including yourself, like was loaded. Like I, what was it like playing with some of those guys? Obviously they're, you know, some of those guys are, you know, 
like yourself, you know, super talented. What was it like playing with some of those, you know, guys that are, you know, got drafted super high? Yeah, I know it was awesome. I mean, I love to play at that level and uh, compete against the best. And uh, any chance you get to play with the top players in your age group, it's 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 unreal. And uh, to be able to kind of compare yourself to them and be on a team with them and and see what it's like. Uh, yeah, to kind of like compete with them and also uh, try to win. So. Uh, yeah, our team was was really good, and uh, it was a lot of fun to play with those guys. So this will be your third year in the OHL with the Oshawa Generals. Um, so far in 124 games, you have 43 goals, 61 assists, and 104 points. Um, talk to us about your time with the Oshawa Generals and what that organization has meant to you, you know, throughout your young career. Yeah, it's been awesome. I think kind of stepping into the league as a 16-year-old, uh, moving away from home, um, you're obviously kind of it's obviously a new uh, new environment um, and they do a great job of kind of making you feel welcome and all the guys were great right away and um, you kind of just get in there and try to make an impact right away and I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that and um, I think kind of I mean starting there there's no other there's no uh, better place to play in the OHL so really enjoy it and um, really kind of savor all the moments I can uh, playing for that playing for the generals. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And um, kind of to go back to, you know, big tournaments that you've played in, you got the opportunity to also play in the World Juniors, um, finishing with bronze in that tournament, three goals, six assists, um, nine points in seven games. Um, again, what what did it mean to represent, you know, Canada in this tournament? You got to play with guys, you know, other phenomenal players like yourself, you know, Macklin Celebrini, uh, Matthew Wood, Colby Barlow, Porter Martin. I mean, the name, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, what was it like, you know, being able to play in that tournament, but now you're playing other countries, best players. Like, what was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. I think, uh, I mean, obviously playing, uh, we were in playoffs with Oshawa and we got eliminated, unfortunately, in the first round. But, um, I was just really thankful to get that opportunity to play, uh, play some more hockey and, uh, my season wasn't just over. So, uh, it was definitely a great experience and, uh, definitely learned a lot from it and, uh, it was a lot of fun playing with those guys for sure. And, uh, yeah, like you said, competing against the best players in the world. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I kind of want to talk, you know, pivot a little bit and talk about your draft experience. Um, obviously, you were drafted, um, you know, 27th overall. Um, you were in Nashville. Um, beforehand, like before the draft, when you had your interviews and everything, did you have any idea where you would possibly go? Like, did you always know you were going to go to Colorado? Were there any other teams like in play beforehand? Or like, did you have no idea where you were going? Um, yeah, not really. I didn't have much of a clue to be honest, but, um, yeah, obviously talked to some teams more than others and you kind of have a bit of an idea, but, um, you, when it's obviously a moving process and there's no really like, uh, signs to it, I guess, and kind of waiting to hear your name. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was an unbelievable experience and couldn't be happier and uh, being picked by Colorado for sure. I always like to ask, you know, the, the the guys that we have on here, like, did you have any bizarre pre-draft questions? Like, we've heard some hilarious ones, like, throughout, you know, even on, like, other podcasts, too, you hear, like, on Chicklets or, like, any of those other pods that some of these questions that these GMs and, you know, representatives come up with are hilarious. And it's like, I don't even know how I'd react in that situation, getting, you know, hearing something like that. Did you have any experiences like that? Um, I got one. Just uh, they asked me what animal I am off the ice and then what animal I am on the ice. 
Uh, Montreal asked me that question. And um, I kind of knew that was the question the teams asked, so I kind of had that prepared. But um, I think my answer was uh, monkey for on the ice because they're like smart. And um, I think that's one of my my uh, good traits as a player that I think the game well. Uh, and then off the ice, um, can't remember what I said. I might have said like a horse or something. Just they're reliable and I don't know. I guess they're loyal and stuff like that. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Zach Benson told us that he was a. He said he was a golden retriever or something. Like <laughs> completely out of the like, dude. I could. I, it, it's so funny. Like I said, like we've heard throughout the years. Like the, I forgot who it was last year talking about like about smoking pot or whatever. And and I think it was Stevie Y actually who asked yeah. the question just out of left field. Those they're always hilarious to hear those stories to kind of like throw you off. But to two good answers from you, you know, like can't go wrong with those um so when you finally heard your name called in the you know first round pick um Colorado has such a rich hockey tradition you know Stanley Cups Hall of Famers across the board um did any of the guys first first I guess I want to ask you what was that moment like the moment you heard you know you heard your name your family's around you um the time is here like we'll talk take me through that moment what you were thinking um and and what it was like to be uh you know celebrate with your family yeah it was unbelievable and um yeah just like right when you kind of hear your name called um i kind of just blacked out to be honest uh, yeah i got up hugged my family and just thanked them for everything and then went up on stage did all the interviews and stuff and honestly don't even really remember all that part <laughs> um and then yeah you get up and see your family in the box and meet meet everyone in the organization again and um yeah was, that whole night was un- unbelievable and um uh, definitely one of the best nights of my life yeah you know and, and again we bring back the how close you and your brother are and he you know he even said too it was the happiest moment of his life you know being able to see you live out your dream and you know you're getting this opportunity and, and it was so cool to hear that man like you always love seeing those stories and um yeah it's awesome did so once you got drafted obviously you have like a loaded colorado team there right and did any of those guys reach out to you to kind of offer their congratulations or, you know, tips or anything, you know, just like mentorship, yeah. you know, any of those guys? Yeah, like uh, McKinnon reached out, um, called me, like I called him the next day. Um, and then Lanniscaw, Granton, and McCarr, Devon Taves, um, Andrew Cogliano. Um, yeah, so they're all super supportive and you can tell like they have a really tight group there. And, um just really glad to be part of that organization and um obviously with my shoulder uh, my rehab over the summer uh Cogliano was great with that and he's he's from the Toronto area so he knows some good uh therapists here so he was able to set me up with uh with the physiotherapist so that was awesome for me and um and they're really dialed in there and they they take what take the team really serious so it's kind of cool to see that they they care so much about a first a first round pick that's not going to play on the team for however long but uh yeah it's awesome for you, sure. you love to hear stuff like that man like and obviously you know colorado is pretty well known to have such a good leadership group um ton of great leaders on that team that even don't wear letters right um it, it's awesome to hear you know and how what what kind of peace of mind does it give you kind of knowing that that's what you're walking into um just a team that you know has phenomenal leaders guys that have been in the league you know for such a long time and have been successful in the league at that um what kind of peace of mind does that give you you know that that's what you're walking into 
yeah, I think it's it's obviously great. I mean, my goal is obviously playing in the NHL and uh, win a Stanley Cup, and um, there's no better place to to learn and and grow into that being that player. And um, I'm just really excited to kind of get get in there and uh, earn my spot. Yeah, you know, we were able to watch a lot of film on, you know, your game and try to get to know you and how you play the game. But Elite Prospects has um, your hockey sense as your, you know, defining quality. Um, you mentioned that within the draft interviews that you have, you know, you're smart on the ice. Your hockey IQ is off the charts. Um, for Avalanche fans, um, what kind of player are they getting in Cal Ritchie? And what are some areas also to kind of pivot the other way? What are some areas in your game? um that you'd really like to focus on improving yeah i think um like for improving i think obviously you need to be good at everything to play at that level in the nhl so um i think i mean every day i'm just trying to work on all aspects of my game uh and you get stronger faster uh better shot better skating all that so um yeah and i just think yeah as a player um, like you said i think i'm a smart i'm a smart player and uh try to play a good two-way game and i think it could generate offense as well so um, yeah, I think obviously I'm just trying to grow into, grow into being a well-rounded player and, um, be able to help, help the team. Um, you know, kind of going back to development camp, talking about that, you got the opportunity to go, you know, skate with these guys, you know, some of the prospects and stuff. Um, what was that experience like? Um, you know, just that week long, you know, what, what, what was your biggest takeaway from that week? Um both on the ice, you know, off the ice stuff, whatever. What was, what was your biggest takeaway from that? Um, yeah, I just think, I mean, how uh, how hard those guys work, how much time they put in. And, um, I think a big thing I noticed when I was in Colorado was there's there's no egos. There's, I mean, the training staff there, they spend so much time with me. And, I mean, I'm just an 18-year-old kid, and they spent countless hours on me over the, the month that I was there and helping me uh, recover from injury and, um and then obviously um, getting on the ice with those guys it was awesome and kind of just seeing how much how much work it takes to, to play at that level um yeah you know there's always there's always ways you can improve your game and um kind of love to be around that for sure yeah man well again that that kind of wraps up you know everything that you know i i can't thank you for taking the time to uh come on and drop the mitts um we, you know we wish you the best you know as you continue re, uh rehabbing your injury um and we really hope to see you out on the ice soon, man. Miss miss watching you play. And um, honestly, we wish you the best, uh, you know, going forward. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, take care. Thank you.